What's up, NAV family? So in a second, I get the opportunity to introduce a guest to you, but the first thing I would like to do is recognize that the weekend we've been in, you know, every single weekend, I get to stand up here and preach the gospel without fear of someone coming in trying to kill me because of my religious freedoms. Every week that we're online, every week that we're walking the streets, I know that I have the freedom that the United States have provided, and it isn't because we wrote it on a document a couple hundred years ago. It is because men and women have stood on a fence, have stood on a wall, has stood in a spot to defend that freedom from us. And so if you're watching online or if you're here and you are a veteran, can we just say we honor you this morning? We thank you for your service. And I encourage you to cut through the noise of society that would say anything else. There is a nation full of grateful people for the freedoms that we have. And I get to freely declare that today because of you. So we honor you this morning. So a few years ago, about a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to meet a gentleman by the name of Pastor Chris. He's going to say, just call me Chris. I can't. I, I'm standing here. I have to do it. I, Pastor Chris. Um, I had the opportunity because I heard about this wonderful ministry um, where we rescue churches and equip pastors. Um, I will allow Pastor Chris to give all these different statistics later, but in America right now, the fastest uh, franchise to be closing in America is the American church. It isn't Walmarts, it isn't Kmarts, I don't even know if they're around anymore, or Dillard's, or if those are, those are the only names I remember, but the, but the American church is needing help when it comes to our purpose, our call, and our leadership, and so had this awesome opportunity, and I met this man, and it was amazing, because I found out, not only is he a founding pastor of a church out of California, but this year they, plan, they ended up expanding to their 12th location. Not only was I enjoying the one book that he wrote, I found out he had written seven books in and all of these accolades that a professional pastor should be able to now sit back, relax, and enjoy his ministry. He has stepped out of being the lead pastor of a church that has 12, uh, 12 locations. He is writing another book that is going to be coming out this very, very shortly. And he has moved into an entire new ministry where he wants to help pastors and minister to people. And, and when you hear about all these amazing uh, talents and all these amazing things that he's done in the past, you can sit in awe till you sit with him. And then well, here's what you end up finding. You end up finding a father who loves sons. And so church, I don't have a gentleman here um, because we deserve him. We have a gentleman here today because he's a father who wants to see sons and daughters expand and explode for the kingdom of God. And so if you're sitting back just waiting for someone to talk to you, I'm going to warn you now. You need to move forward in your seat just a little bit. And if you were saving that coffee to have energy to drive home, I'm going to encourage you to down it right now. Because if you came thinking you're going to sit back on your hands and just be talked at, you have drastically underestimated the power of Pastor Chris and what he's about to bring. So if you could stand to your feet, put your hands together, and welcome Pastor Chris Hansen as he comes to us. That was the quite the intro. <laughs> Bless you, dude. Amen. Wow. Whoever he was talking about sounded great, but it wasn't me. Um, I'm looking around going, who's he introducing? Because, wow. Hey, it is awesome. How's everybody doing today? 
Oh, come on now. You're at church. You're at the best place to be all week long. How's everybody doing? One more time. Yeah. Hey, man, we're going to have some fun, uh, and it is a joy to be able to be with you. And I want you to know, first of all, about how much I love your pastor, uh, him and his amazing wife. Uh, it is difficult to be a pastor. There's always, when someone leaves, they always got to send you a nice, encouraging email. You know, they go on social media, they say something. There's a lot of pain that comes with being a pastor because you got people that you can't please. Coming out of COVID, did you open too early? Did you open too late? Are you Republican? Are you Democrat? You can't please everybody. And everybody's got something to say, but your pastors are amazing. They walk through the walls sometimes of, of being hurt. And I want you to do me a favor. Bigger shout than you've given all this morning. Let this man know how much you appreciate him. Come on. Yeah, oh, we got people standing. <laughs> yeah. Come on, turn around. Turn around, look at there, yes. Amen. Woo. Love this guy, love embarrassing him. His whole head is red. Um, it went from pure white to pure red. It is awesome. Love you, Pastor David. He's awesome. Man, we are in years to come of partnering together for the kingdom. A uh, little bit about me. Uh, my name's Chris, and I am the founding pastor of South Hills Church. Still a part of South Hills, but I don't lead the day-to-day. -day. I just do our global expansion. So we just mo opened up in Ohio. We just opened up in Virginia. Uh, we got 12 campuses. Uh, we started it 25 years ago, but a couple years ago, I was like, I'm tired of running this, so you run this, the executive pastor, and I'll just do the, I'll do the expansion. Uh, we also have Church Boom, which we coach pastors, and we have Church Rescue. We rescue churches that are dying. Pastor David mentioned that. I'll talk about that at the end because your church has been so generous in helping with that. More importantly, above all that, I have been married for 32 years. Yes. We have uh, uh, been married for 32 years to a beautiful Mexican woman. Oh, no, she's hot. And... Um, <laughs> I call her my little hot tamale, and uh, she doesn't speak any English, but that helps us get along. Um, can't really argue if you can't talk to each other. It's pretty amazing. And then I'll just leave it there. It's wonderful when she's with me because she does speak, she barely speaks Spanish, but I always make fun of her. And then afterwards, people come up, hello, hola, you know, whatever. I'm like, no, she's fine. She's good. Um, we have two amazing children, and then we have this third one. No, I'm not totally playing. I'm totally playing. And, uh, and then we also, my, my daughter gave us in the last couple of years two granddaughters, and we have a granddaughter that's three-year-old, one-year-old. How many grandparents do we have here? Yeah, isn't it the best thing on the planet? It's so much better than parenting. Parenting is a farce. It's the grandparenting. It is, it is God's gift to you for you not killing your own kid. That's really what it is. I was holding my granddaughter recently, and my, and my adult son says to me, Dad, it's like you love her more. I said, no, it's not like I do. I do. I want to be very clear. You had a good run. It's over for you. 
It's awesome. So, hey, it is great to be able to be with you and be able to hang out. I want to minister to you for a little bit, and then at the end, I just want to kind of tell you a little bit about Rescue, because your church has generously been helping us among many other churches, but I'll kind of save the last seven or eight minutes at the very end to do that. If you have a Bible, if you have a Bible, go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, next time at a hotel, get one. They're free. Um, I steal them all the time, and then I sell them on eBay. It's a little side hustle I have going on. Uh, so, 1 Samuel 17, Pastor Aaron, uh, better known as the Garth Brooks of Navigation Church, um, he's up here. I'm like, this guy's like Garth Brooks. I felt like I was at Central Park. And, uh, um, but he mentioned uh, uh, King David. He mentioned David and all the challenges he had, the ups and the downs. We're going to talk about one of the amazing things that he did. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, a while back, I am driving down the road, down the highway, and I am late for an appointment, and I hate being late for an appointment. I like being on time. And I am going down the freeway, and I am, I'm late to go speak somewhere, and I am absolutely speeding. And I know that I'm speeding. And I'm thinking, man, I got to get there. I was doing a nice, good Christian 95, and I was <laughs> flying. How many have ever been speeding, or you run through a yellow light, and you say a prayer at the same time? Lord, as I break the law, may you be with me. You know what I'm talking about. So I'm flying down the freeway praying, and apparently God decided differently. I looked up in the mirror, and there's the red and blue lights. Woo, 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 like this, and they're, and they're just coming up on me. So I thought, man, what do I do? So I punched it. No, I, I, um, I pulled over the side of the road, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, now I'm going to be more late. I'm going to have to pay a ticket. This is not cool. And so he comes walking up, you know, and I can see him in the rearview mirror. I look over, and I see my Bible sitting on my, the chair next to me. And I, I know you're going to all judge me. I'm about to tell you something. You're going to be like, oh, God, but you're going to judge me. I look over, and I see my Bible. But to totally be honest with you, and by the way, don't you love it when a pastor says, can I be honest with you? Because yeah. I'm always thinking, what have you been doing up to this point? But anyway, <laughs> I take my Bible, and I put it on the dashboard, because I'm thinking, maybe he's one of us. He'll let me off the hook, you know, and so I had to put a cup of tea in a candle, because it's got to look like a social media devotion, and, um, you know, isn't it funny when people post that, just spending time with the Lord, it's all perfect. Anyway, um, and so he comes walking up, and he's all, license and registration, please, and I give him my license and registration, he starts talking to me, blah, 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 Pastor David, the entire time he's looking at me like this, he keeps, his eyes keep looking at my Bible, and I'm thinking... I got him. I'm reeling him in like a marlin. And uh, he says, hey, I'll be back in a second. I'm like, okay. He goes back. I look up in the mirror, and he's writing me a ticket. And I'm thinking, what happened? I thought we were, you know. And uh, uh, so he's writing me a ticket. He comes back up, you know, gets back in the window, gives my license registration, tells me to sign here, tells me a bunch of instructions. And, and he keeps looking at my Bible. He goes, all right. Well, he goes, drive safely. He walks away, and he puts his head back in the window, points at my Bible. And says, by the way, read Romans 13.1. Now, I know the Bible pretty well, but I don't have every verse memorized. He takes off. I open it up. Obey the laws of the land. Yeah. <laughs> My luck, I had to get a Christian cop. That was a mistake. What he was really telling me was, hey, buddy, you might want to follow the entire Bible. You know, I think it's pretty easy for us to have selective obedience, where it's like, man, I'll follow this part, this part. Isn't that true? It's kind of like, man, I love the idea that God wants to bless me financially, but the whole tithing thing, I don't know if I love that part. I love forgiveness. I just don't like it when God wants me to give it to someone else. Yeah. 
We like one part, but not another part. You know what else is interesting in the Bible? How easy it is to believe God. There's 3,000 promises in the Bible, and how easy it is to believe God for someone else to get the promise than yourself. Hey, God loves you, man, he's with you, he'll come through, you can trust him, blah, 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 blah. But when it comes to ourself, it's hard to accept that. There's a story in the Bible of David and Goliath, and I want to kind of walk you through this story real quick. Even if you're new to church, maybe it's your first time, haven't been to church in a while, whatever, let me kind of walk you through the story, okay? Down in the battle in this valley in Israel, I've been there, it's a, it's a valley that where the battle of David and Goliath took place. Even if you're not a Christian, you might have heard that term, David and Goliath. Okay, so over here on one side, you got this army called the Philistines. Say Philistines. They're the bad guys. They're not good. They got this big old Goliath dude. He's like nine foot, six inches tall. He's a bad boy, you know, kind of a UFC fighter, and he's there. On this side, you've got the children of Israel or the army of Israel, the army of Israel. They are fighting against the Philistines. However, the army of Israel is very scared. Every day, Goliath, the big nine foot six dude, comes out. He taunts them, makes fun of God, makes fun of them. So they don't want to go down in the valley. They stay up on the hill. They don't want to fight. They're too scared. Now, fast, or going a little bit over here to the right, up in the mountains, there's this dude named Jesse. Jesse's got a bunch of sons. And he gets his sons together. He's like, hey, sons, you need to go down and help the army of Israel to fight. They're all like, yeah, let's do it, you know, and they're going to go fight. And David, the youngest one, takes off, and he's like, I'll do it too. And his dad says, hold on, you're too young, you don't know how to fight. We know that he wasn't even 20 years old yet because he hadn't taken the consensus, so he was probably 17 or 18 years old. He's like, David, you don't know how to fight, you stay home and tend the sheep while your brothers go and fight. How demeaning is that? <laughs> hey, your, your brothers can fight, you just tend the sheep. Then, a little bit later, a couple of weeks go by, his dad says, oh, by the way, David, your brothers are probably pretty hungry. Here's a basket with cheese and bread. Deliver it to them. Now, his brothers are fighting. He's skipping over like Little Red Riding Hood to go over and deliver cheese and bread. How demeaning is that? He arrives on the scene, and all the army of Israel, they're just sitting on the sideline, and they're like, we're not going to go out there and fight. David is too big, or Goliath is too big. David shows up to see them scared, including their brothers. They're all scared. They won't go fight. And this is what David says. This is where we pick up the story. Verse 24. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, being Goliath, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He came out each day, as I shared with you guys just a second ago, to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. David asked the soldiers standing nearby. Remember, he shows up with his little basket nearby, and he says, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and ending this defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the army of the living God? Don't you love the confidence of this 17-year-old kid? Who is this that defies God, makes fun of God, and makes fun of you guys? Why are you standing on the sideline? This is a guy that's never fought before in his entire life. Now, here's, here's number one thing I want you to write down, take a picture, it comes up on the screen. If you take notes, you'll remember 70% more, by the way. Here's number one. What others chose to accept, David chose to reject. What others chose to accept, David chose to reject. You see, here's the thing. If, now, back to the, remember the army on the sideline, they're all scared. If they lose against Goliath, they have to become his slave. 
David's coming along and going, why are you guys accepting less for your life? Why are you accepting being a slave to Goliath? Get out there and fight. What others were choosing to accept, David said, no, 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 I reject that idea. Now let's stop and put a pin in that for a moment. How many times do we do that? Where we accept so much less than God's best for our life. Is that true? You see, here's the thing. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter to me if you're 16 years old in here or 68 years old in here. God's not done with you. When God's done with you, you'll be dead. Until then, he's got something for your life. I didn't grow up in a Christian church at all, not even close. There were, uh, drugs were very normal in my household, and uh, I did not grow up in a Christian church. But all I know is this. When I got invited to a youth group, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and it has changed everything around. I was a teenager doing all the stupid stuff everybody does, but I was like, man, I want to give this God thing a try. And I watched what God did, because here was the bottom line. I watched what happened to my brother. I watched what happened to some of my siblings, and I was like, I don't want that. I reject that. I want something bigger for my life. And that's what David is saying. And I think that's what God would say to you. You see, because i got to believe with all of my heart, there are books in here that have not been written. There are songs in here that have not yet been composed. There are business ideas that have not yet happened that could fund this church and many other churches. But, we, but what we do is we take all of our dreams and our goals and everything that we have inside of our heart and we put them under fear and we put them under doubt and we put them under insecurity. People come to me all the time, Pastor Chris, pray for me. I have a fear problem. No, you don't. You have a belief problem. Because fear must submit to belief. It always does. So we have a fear problem. We have a doubt problem. We have an insecurity problem. You know what else is it? Here's the big one. Here's, you know what else gets in the way? Other people's opinions. And it is amazing how we live and die by other people's opinions and what they think. That's why we go back to social media to see how many likes and comments we have because we live for the praises of other people. And so what happens is it's other people's opinions. You you can't write that book. You can't start that business. You can't become a pastor. You can't be called to full-time ministry. And all these things that other people put on us. Here's what I've noticed, Pastor David, is people want to pull you down to a level that's comfortable to themselves. Now listen, listen, here's why. Because your desire for excellence threatens their mediocrity. That's why. And and they want to pull you down. I do a lot of traveling. I do about, for years I've been doing this, I do about 150 to 185 flights a year, every year. Last year was 161, I think this year it'll be about 180. And I do a lot of flying. Now, how many have ever heard anything called the Admiral Lounge? Anybody ever heard of that? Okay, the Admiral Lounge is a really cool place at big airports. And when you fly a lot, they kind of have this area that's, you go to the Dallas airport, they got a really nice, couple nice ones there. Okay, and here's the thing. You know how, you, you ever been to the airport before? And, and, and it's, you know, in a big airport and it's kind of messy and the kids are screaming and yelling at McDonald's and throwing french fries at each other, you know? And then there's this Admiral Lounge that when it opens up, I'm telling you, inside of that Admiral Lounge, listen to this, are restaurants, there are masseuses, there is a place where you can sleep, there's showers, there's a guacamole bar, it's heaven. I'm telling you, it is heaven. It's amazing. Okay, now, back up a few years ago. I'm flying all the time, and I, who fly all the time, had no idea what the Admiral Lounge was. None. I mean, to me, it was for pilots. Doesn't it sound piloty? 
Admiral Lamb doesn't sound like it's for me. And so I'm sitting in the Dallas airport. I got a two-hour delay. I see a buddy I haven't seen in a while. I'm like, dude, we give each other a hug. He's like, man, I'm, I got a two-hour delay as well. I'm like, he goes, let's hang out. And I'm like, okay, you know, and I sit back down. He goes, no, let's go to the Admiral Lounge. This is a few years ago. I go, Admiral Lounge? I go, now, keep in mind, I've been flying thousands of flights. And he goes, I go, Admiral Lounge? I go, what are you talking about? And he goes, yeah, let's go in there. I go, we can't go in there. It's for pilots. He could not stop laughing. He's like, how do you... Have, fly all this time, and you have no idea what the Admiral Lounge is. I'm like, I, I don't know. And so first time ever in my life, we walked through the pearly gates, and <laughs> it opens up, and I could hear the angels, ah, and it, they were singing, and the streets were paved with gold. It was incredible. And I walk in, and I'm like, this is unreal. Here's the best part, Pastor David. Guy comes up, my buddy, and she goes, what's your name, sir? You know, takes his name, and she goes, and who's your guest? I said, my name's Chris Songson. She goes, oh, Mr. Songson. You've been a member for seven years. I said, what? And she goes, you've been a member for seven years. And I'm thinking, for seven years, I've been hanging out over here in this human Petri dish called the terminal when I could have been over here? Are you telling me that I'm over here at the bottom of the Titanic with Leonardo when I could have been inside of here with the lady with the necklace? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> See, here's the thing. I've been a member for seven years. I just never walked through the door. You ever thought about that with Jesus? That maybe you've been a member of his Admiral Lounge for seven years. He's just waiting for you to walk through the door, man. I guess you can live over here if you want. Or you can live over here, you just decide where you want to live. You want to live over here with insecurity and fear and doubt and not becoming everything God ever intended? Or do you want to walk inside the Admiral Lounge that God has for your life? That's what David was saying. He's showing up going, why are you guys signing up for slavery? I reject that idea because God's got something better for my life. And I've seen that in my own life, you guys. I grew up in a home like a whatever in and uh, um, I remember when I became a Christian as a teenager, by the time I was 17, two weeks away from graduating high school, my dad, we're, I'm standing in the hallway at 3481 Grand Street. There's seven of us living in this 900-square-foot home. And I remember my dad saying to me in the hallway, he goes, son, he goes, what are you going to do when you graduate? I said, dad, I'm going to go to Bible college. I don't know how. I'm going to write books, start churches, and help change the world for Jesus. And I'm 17 years old, and my dad looked at me, and I'll never forget. He goes, son, you do not have what it takes you are simply not good. I went inside my room and I started to cry and God got me right away at 17 years old and said, stop the crying because however you think about this for the future will determine the rest of your life. And this is what he said to me. He goes, you can either listen to what your heavenly father says about you or your earthly father. You make the choice. I went with what God said about me. And I got to tell you, God's got a lot of things to say about you. You may be 12 years old in here going, man, I feel like I was dragged to church. Let me tell you something. I was 14 years old when I gave my life to Christ, and I'm telling you, you want to travel the world and change the world, sign up for Jesus and see what happens. Okay, David chose to reject what everybody else chose to accept. Now, okay, let's go back to the story. David shows up and says, what's your guys' problem? Why are you sitting on the sideline? You guys are crazy, blah, blah, blah. The king, Saul, who's the largest guy in that army, the king of, of the army of Israel, he overhears David. Says, David, come over here. Now David, 17 years old, goes over there and hangs out with the king, Saul, and they have a conversation. And here's how the conversation goes. Let's take a look at it. Don't, look, at, look at what David says. Don't worry about the Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. 
I want you to think about what the king is thinking right now. You little punk. You snotty-nosed kid. You're 17 years old. You don't know how to lift up a sword. How are you going to be able to fight? I love this. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. That's the king. There's no way you can fight the Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's making fun of him. And he's been a man of war since his youth. I love David's response. Look at what it says. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Oh, well, then you're ready to fight. I love that. Don't worry, king. I've been taking care of the sheep. I got this. And then it says, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both the lion and the bear, and I'll do it to the pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the uh, hands or the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Here's the second thing I want you to write down, take a note on it, whatever. Here it is. David knew that the battle belonged to the Lord, but the fight belonged to him. You catch that? Why did, what did he say? I, I killed the lion. I killed the bear. But the Lord rescued me. And in a couple verses, he'll actually say, the battle actually belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me. See, here's the thing. The fight, okay, the battle belongs to the Lord, but the fight belongs to you and I. That's what David recognized. And the battle belongs to the Lord, no doubt. Even if you're new to church, you're figuring out this whole God thing, and you're thinking, how, man, how's my marriage going to get fixed? How's my finances going to get fixed? The battle belongs to the Lord, and God cares about you. God wants you to win. But the fight belongs to you. You're the one that's going to have to get the counseling. You're the one that's going to have to get the financial advice. You're the one that's going to have to go back to school. You're the one that's going to have to do that. Yeah, the battle belongs to the Lord. No doubt he's there with you every step of the way. But the fight belongs to you and I. We're the ones that have to do that. A few years ago, about I think four or five years, four years ago, something like that, we did this sprint triathlon with some of the staff from our church. And uh, it was like seven or eight of us did this sprint triathlon. It was an absolute nightmare. It was down right in the Camp Pendleton where I live in Southern California at the Marine Base. And they did this whatever thing. It's like 25 miles riding a bike, a mile swimming in the ocean, and then like five miles running. It was a nightmare. It was four years ago. I just finished last night. It was the longest <laughs> four years of my life. And I remember when we were standing there ready, and I live at the beach. I surf. I'm not that good, but I surf. And if you know anything about the beach or whatever, you, you don't want the waves setting out too far, and you don't want them up too much. If they're out too, too much, they'll pound you on the sand. If they're out too far and you get hit by a monster wave, you're going to go down 15 feet, come back up, and get hit by another wave. They were setting out really far, and they were massive. I live at the beach, and when I think they're massive, it's, I see them every day, and I'm like, these are huge waves. I was literally, Pastor David, scared to death. And I'm sitting there just going, this is a nightmare because the gun's about to go off. You start the swim. Uh, you know, and they do heats of like 50. I'm standing next to this guy, and they're getting like 60 seconds. I got a little gun. We're all going to swim in this ocean. I'm like, this is a disaster. And I look over at the guy, and he looks at me and goes, you ever done this before? I go, no, this is the first time I've ever done this in my life. I looked at him, and I said, you ever done this before? He goes, yeah, this is the third one I've done this year. He goes, but I've never seen waves like that. I'm like, well, thank you <laughs> for the encouragement. I head out there, it's fine, half mile out, and I got to go half mile back. People are getting pulled out by jet skis. Even the guy that talked to me got pulled out by a jet ski because the waves were pounding so many people. And I looked around, and I saw the last jet ski taken off to rescue someone, and there's no one else out there. I'm like, come back, God needs me more than he does that. And, uh, um, <laughs> and I'm out there just 
swimming away and paddling and paddling, and I am scared. Honest to God, I am scared to death. I'm thinking, this is a, I, in certain, you, you don't want to get caught right in the middle, and I was right in the middle, and all of a sudden, boom, I go down 15 feet, and I come back up, and I'm, <gasps> and, I've, and I've already swim three quarters of a mile, and I am just swimming the entire time. Now, here's the thing. I was praying and paddling at the same time. I was, God, please help me, you know. I'm screaming out. My wife's on the shore waving a life insurance policy. It was all coming together. <laughs> Kids were like, I get that, I get that. And I'm like, help me. <laughs> I'm swimming. I am paddling, praying, praying, paddling, praying, paddling. Never at one moment did I say, you know what, I don't need to paddle. I'll just pray. It's all up to God. Okay, God, here we go. I, I just didn't do that. <laughs> because I had to pray and I had to I did. I prayed, I paddled. I prayed, I paddled. It's the same thing. The battle belongs to the Lord, but the fight belongs to me. You got to fight for your marriage. You got to fight for your children. You got to fight for your education. You got to fight for your finances. The battle belongs to the Lord, but the fight belongs to us. And I serve a God who wants you to win. He wants you to win big. He's just wondering when you're ready to step into the Admiral Lounge. Just come on in and see what God has for you. Now, here's the thing, real quick. It, it won't come up on the screen, but just don't, don't miss this. I think often that we say that uh, Goliath was David's greatest battle. But you ever thought about this? Goliath was David's greatest blessing. Not his greatest battle, his greatest blessing. Do you know when he fought and killed Goliath? This is what he got. He got $750 million in modern times as a reward. He got the daughter of the king as a wife. He got him and his family didn't have to pay taxes for the rest of their life. I'd have signed up for that right there alone. I live in California. I'm like, where do I sign up for that? Where's my Goliath? Goliath wasn't David's greatest battle. Goliath was David's greatest blessing. Let me tell you something. I don't know what your Goliath is right now that you're facing, but I understand this much. You slain that thing and get on the other side, and that's where your blessing will be. You fight and say, boom, I'm done with that thing, and watch what God will do. Second thing I think is interesting is this, is that, we, is that I think we look at it and say that, that God, and we sing songs about this in children's church, that God sent David to kill Goliath. There's a little song in, in, in children's church that years ago they used to sing about that. You ever thought about this? Don't miss this. Maybe God didn't send David to kill Goliath, but maybe God sent Goliath to reveal David. He revealed him. Hey, let's see if you really have what it takes to be the second king of Israel, which he was. Let's see if you have what it takes to fight. Let's see if you have confidence in God. Let's see if you have courage. Let's see if you won't back down. Let's see what really happens. God sent Goliath to reveal who David was. And let me tell you about whatever you're facing, whatever battle you gotta be fighting, and all of that, understand something, it will reveal who you are. Crisis is not only made, or character is not only made in crisis, it's displayed in crisis. And it will display who you really are. You're really going to fight or are you going to give up? Are you going to quit or are you going to hang in there? It will reveal it like no one's business. Now, let's go back to the story. We're going to go back to the story of David, okay? So he, okay, he goes to the king, tells the king, hey, man, I can fight. I, you know, I took on the sheep. You know, he does his speech, you know, that little thing. And then the king goes, fine, you want to fight? He's probably thinking, you want to die? Go ahead, buddy. Throws a bunch of armor on him. David said, I don't, this armor doesn't fit me. I don't want it. 
He takes a slingshot, not like normal one we think of, but we'll just go with that for now. <laughs> Too long to explain, but it's a slingshot. He says, I'll fight him, and he goes over to a stream, picks up five stones, puts them in his bag. We'll come back to that word bag in a minute. He's got five stones in there. Goes out there to face Goliath, not with a sword, a spear, or a javelin. He goes out there and faces Goliath with a slingshot and five stones in his bag. Now, look, let's look at the story. It says, David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of, of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you. Look at this. I will cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. This is the first episode of The Walking Dead, if you wanted to know where it came from. <laughs> and then it says, he says, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. Oh, look at this. But not with the sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. Remember? Battle belongs to the Lord, fight belongs to us, and he will give it to us. And as Goliath moved forward, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into that bag. Remember that bag? He takes out a stone, one of the five. He hurls it with a sling, hits the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sinks in. Goliath stumbles and falls face down to the ground, and ultimately he dies. Here's the third thing, the last thing I want to share with you, and then I just want to share with you a couple things about Church Rescue. We'll watch a video and we'll wrap it up. I want to give away a free book, by the way, too. Don't you love free? Say free. free. Yeah, we all love free. All right, here we go. Write this down. When others stood on the sideline, David stood on the front line. When others stood on the sideline, David stood on the front line. Remember, remember, remember the army of Israel? We're too afraid. His own brothers, his older brothers, he was the youngest. We're too afraid. And David's like, not me. I'm getting out there. I'm not standing on the sideline. I'm standing on the front line. Maybe, maybe, you ever look at other people and go, why does God bless them? What about that? What about that? What about that? Man, that, that seems like, a, you ever thought that maybe they're on the front line while you're standing on the sideline? God wants you to get on the front line for your life. All the, all the people that are under 20 years old in here, let me tell you something. God's got a plan for your life. Grab a hold of it. Don't grab a hold of anything else. Don't get wound up in TikTok theology. You do what God tells you to do. Follow him and watch what happens. I'm telling you, it is a much more adventure with God than to see what everybody else is doing in their life. No matter what age you are, you're 85 years old, God's not done with you either. Do not stand on the sideline watching everybody else get blessed and, and do everything for God and do amazing things. Get on the front line and start to fight for your life and your marriage and your career and your finances and against your addiction or whatever else is happening in your life. Get on that front line. Now, remember, I told you about the bag with the five stones. Okay, remember, here's the thing. It's funny, when you look at the story, we often focus on the bag and we ignore the basket. Stay with me on this thought. The bag held the stones. The basket held the food that David come to deliver. Here's the point. David did not come down the mountain to fight. David came down the mountain to serve. That's the only reason he was there, folks. It was the serving that got him in front of the king. It was the serving that got him in front of Goliath. It was the serving that got him $750 million in modern times. It was the serving that got him all the reward. He didn't come down the mountain to fight. He came down the mountain to serve, and it was the serving heart that God blessed. And he'll do the same thing for you. He'll do the same thing for you. It's about the basket. That's what it was. It wasn't about the bag. It was about the basket. That's what brought him to everything he had. And it's the same thing that will bring it to you. So let me just take a few minutes. I'm going I'm to turn the corner here in just a second, but let me bring this part to a close. Listen, listen. 
God's got an admiral lounge for you. There's some people in here that you're called to ministry, you just keep ignoring it. There's some of you in here that God's putting dreams in your life. And I don't know why that we're born with a shout, but we end up with a whisper. I don't know why we do that. Sometimes we let our dreams turn into routines. That's not what God has for your life. You fight. You go after everything God has. Here's, here, here's my advice to you. And maybe after this, at lunch, David's going to go, you're never coming back to our church again. But here's my advice to you. <laughs> here it is. Ready? You go after all that God has. You serve at this church like you've never served before. You get involved. You say, God, use my life. Lord, you got my finances. You got everything in my heart. Here's what I know. If you let go of what's in your hands, he'll let go of what's in his. And I promise you he's got more in his hands. You can't outgive him. You can't outserve him. You can't outlove him. You can't out anything him. Just go all in and he'll go all out. I promise you he will. Bring that to a close. Now, there's a battle that we're all fighting. If I had time, we'd go, oh, I'm fighting this, I'm fighting that, I'm fighting this, I'm fighting that. We all got different things. There is one fight that we all have together. And I want to take the last couple minutes to just talk about this. It's a fight for America's churches. We are losing in America's churches, big time. And uh, uh, we're, we're losing a ton. And that's not a fight for just us individually. It's for all of us. Let me show you real quick and leave it there for a second. Look at, the, if you Google, go home and Google America's church's closing, here's what you'll find. Look what it says. Church going, church, church going and believe in God stand at a historic low of the hill. Top right, America's church is closing faster than new ones can open. Fox News, ABC, Denver News, church is closing their doors in record numbers. The Washington Post, church membership has fallen below the majority for the first time in nearly a century. Keep that up there. If you dig deeper and deeper and deeper, here's what you're going to find. America right now is closing a 100 to 200 churches Every Sunday, it's horrible. 1,500 pastors are quitting the ministry every month. 84% of churches are in decline or plateaued right now. And you might think, oh, okay, that's pro probably post-COVID. No, 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 no. In 2019, before COVID, we had the record number of churches closing, 10,450. In one year closed, that's 200 a weekend. That means 100 to 200 churches this Sunday morning where we're all gathering and having fun, they're having their final service today. Sobering thought. Sobering. And how many know this much? The darker America churches get, the darker America gets. How many, how many have ever said this before, especially if you're like 35 and older, 40 and over? We're not the same America we were 20 years ago. We're not the same America we were 20 months ago. Am I right? Come on, don't you look at some of the stuff and think, how could they approve that? It's like common sense has become a superpower. <laughs> Am I right? Okay, now I'm not here to bag on anything like that. All I know is you can go on social media, you can shake your head, you can put a little sticker on your car, but this is what we decided to do. We thought, well, the more the lighthouses go out, churches in America, the darker America gets. So we just thought, man, we got to do something about it. Here's something else. Throw it up on the screen for me, the next one. And that is this. In, in 2000, America, average size church in America was 137. 2020, it's now 65 and continuing to drop. So you know what we did? Leave that up there. You know what we did? We got, I got about 15, 20 pastors together about two and a half, three years ago in Dallas, Texas. I brought them all together in a room, big churches, whatever, and I said, hey, guys, here's the bottom line. America's churches are closing faster than we can open. Nine straight years in a row, America has closed more churches than it opened. And I thought, you know what? Revelation requires responsibility. So we decided, man, we got to do something about that, man. 
This is a revelation. So I got together with a group of pastors and I said, what could we do, man? I guess we, I could go back to my church. I'll be cool. I'm good. Read a bunch of books. Got a big old church, whatever. They could go back to their churches. They got big old churches. Everybody's doing good. But I go, guys, this is the bride of Christ and it's in the emergency room and it's happening on our watch. Your watch too, by the way. So I thought, well, we got to do something. So we got together and we said, what if we come up with this idea of rescuing churches? You know how the, and I said to the group of pastors, I'm like, you know how there's bar rescue? They're like, no, no, we never heard of that before. <laughs> I was busy praying. I'm like, don't lie. You know, um, there's a thing called bar rescue. I go, what if, we, what if we just did something called church rescue? Watch this. And what if we, what if we for like a, we, we would get churches that like are 20, 30, 40 about to close their doors. And what if we rescued them, like gave them free coaching for a year and just helped them. And then if they needed emergency funding, they were two months behind in their rent. We could help them with that. And then, and then what, if, what if we also gave them resources? And then what if we gave them a soul care retreat because they're probably pretty broken for four days? Well, well, they can't afford it. No, no, we'll give it away for free. And then they're like, well, how are we going to afford it? And I said, I have no idea, but isn't it a great idea? Um, and so we just decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start getting together with healthy churches and say, look, healthy churches, we got a problem with unhealthy churches. Would you help us out? And churches across America have jumped on board, all across America, including this amazing church, which part of your mission budget, part of your giving, or however you guys structure that, has helped to rescue churches. You, in your giving, has helped to rescue the bride of Christ and get it out of the emergency room. Your giving has done that. Plenty of churches across America. And let me show you just quick. Here's the stories. Real fast, real fast. Here we go. First one coming up on the screen. Boom. This guy's Alex. Uh, Alejandro, actually, in San Antonio, he calls us up, man. Hey, I got 45 people left in our church. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how to lead this church. Please help me. We, we started working with them. We went through all that process, gave them some money, did that, did this. Got two weeks ago, they had 185 people in their church. That's a rescued church. Here's another one real quick. This is my buddy Joel. He calls us up. Hey, man, I got about 35 people left in my church, and I don't know what to do. What are we going to do? We started working with him. I spoke at his church three weeks ago. 326 people were there. That's a rescued church. Here's another one. This is my buddy Charles from Arizona. He's only been with us for about seven months. Their church is dying. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. I'm talking like just a few months ago, and in a matter of a few months, it went from a handful of people to last week, 128 people were in their church. That's a rescued church. Leave that one there. Leave that one there. Leave it there. Nope, never mind. Don't leave it there. <laughs> go to the other one. We're going. Good, good, good. Go, go, go. There we go. Uh, and this is a church right here. Brian Detalante in Evansville, Indiana. Come on. Come on, Pastor. Evansville, Indiana. Yep, down the road. He's got the biggest beard I've ever seen in my whole life. The whole band. They look like ZZ Top. It's unbelievable. Um, or Duck Dynasty. I don't know. But um, he calls us up. I took the call, bawling, bawling. He'll tell you if he was here. I've watched him tell the story. I was just in his church six weeks ago. He was telling the story. I called, I called Pastor Chris. I called Church Boom. I said, we need to be rescued. He's like, I feel like a failure. And he's just bawling on the phone. I literally had to pause for 30 seconds because there was so much crying on the phone. He goes, I feel like a failure. I feel like a loser. We're down to 20 people. We're giving the church back. And I said, sign up, man. Get in the rescue program. We can't afford it. Don't worry about it. I can't go on a soul carry. Don't worry about it. We're two months behind in rent. How much is that? $8,000. do not worry about it. We'll send the check to you. This is their church just a few months ago. I was there. And they have not one, two services that fill up like this. Now he thinks he's T.D. Jakes or Stephen Furtick or something. He's like, 
Still got the beard, though. But we rescued them. And I wanted to thank you guys today. Because when you give and you tithe and you trust God, because you know he'll bless you, because he's not going to ever fail you. You can't outgive God. He's not, <laughs> God is not intimidated by your giving <laughs> at all. But you're helping to make that stuff happen. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are finding Christ through rescued churches. And I can't wait to get to heaven and have a whole bunch of strangers come up to you that gave and said, I'm here because of you. That's what's going to be happening. There's a, we showed one uh, picture of Joel, but I want to show a quick video in just a moment. Quick video of Joel Wood from Roswell, New Mexico, home of the UFOs. And uh, um, <laughs> literally, you got to go there. Dunkin' Donuts got to be old alien out in front. It's hilarious. But anyway, um, but uh, this church, 40, 50 people dying, all sorts of problems. They have no idea what they're doing. Last week, I told you, I think they had 326 or a few weeks ago, I spoke there. This is living proof, this video, that rescued churches rescue lives. And here's what else I believe. Rescued churches will rescue America. Thank you for your giving. Check out this video. And then your pastor will come. The story of this church and the way that it began is, uh, is one that was built off of failure. Uh, there was a church split and our church began. Uh, about 20 years later, the pastor of the church ended up in moral failure. Really, they ended up uh, weathering some pretty tough years. And uh, at the end of that, uh, they had grown back to about 60 or 70 uh, on a good weekend. And, and that was about the time that we came. Pastoring uh, before church boom came into our life was, uh, was scary. Uh, it was uh, very difficult. We had never been in this position before. And uh, as we came here, man, I, I wasn't really sure what to do. I wasn't sure how to make the dreams in my heart actually come to life uh, with what God had told us. As a pastor's wife, you do your best to support your husband. What was difficult was honestly to see him frustrated because he had vision, but he didn't have direction. He didn't know what questions he should be asking. I was an addict for years. I was at home and I was drinking and all the family was gone doing something. I was just sitting in my chair drinking whiskey by myself and we got a call that uh, my wife's mom got hit by a drunk driver. Um, woke up in the morning and that, that whiskey was still there, dumped it out. Um, and uh, get rid of it all, uh, started, started going to church. Growing up, I just had more of that religious background rather than the relationship with Christ. So then as time went on, I just kept thinking to myself, like, man, there has to be more to God than just this. Like, we can't live up to this. I got really sad and angry and um, bitter. And instead of like realizing what it was, I started taking it out on my husband. As time progressed, I started having an emotional affair with this man. And after I had a physical affair with him, I remember going into the bathroom and looking in the mirror and saying, who am I? Who is this? 
I have never felt the Holy Spirit in my entire life. And whenever I worshipped for the first time at Waymaker, he just overtook me. sense of almost being rescued when Church Boom came because I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know what I should be looking for. And even in my coaching calls, I would tell Chris, I, I don't even know what I should be asking you right now. Would you help me? And I realized it wasn't until somebody with understanding came to help unlock the potential uh, through the coaching. That's really what, what set us on that course. hard to place a value on what we've received uh, through Church Boom, through the team at Church Boom, Pastor Chris himself. I'm also thankful that when they came in, the tools that uh, Church Boom brought, it wasn't to get us to become something other than ourselves. And there's so many amazing resources that, uh, that we're able to utilize. When I think of this church, I think of, I think of happiness. I think of a, a place where I'm safe, where my family's safe. Whenever I come to church now, I just feel so alive. Like, I look forward to it. I can't get enough of church. I need this place, and I couldn't do my life without Jesus and the people that are in this place. How powerful is that? So I'm sitting here watching this video, and I don't know what to do now. So do we take a second and thank Pastor Chris for being here today? Absolutely. Right? How many heard something that you just need to hear out of it? But then hearing about this, the amount of churches. So if you look to the right and left of you and those online, you can't see it. We're a few more than 60. So if the average is 69 and we're here, where does that mean some other churches are? 8, 12, 10? And so what do we do now? Do we just go on living our life? Or do we, as you said earlier, when you have the revelation, you now have a responsibility? And we are not a church that needs rescued. We are a church that needs to rescue. And so the whole time, and and you guys know this, there's one thing I normally don't lack, and that's something to say. So, Pastor Chris, you didn't have to laugh that hard. Good God. He, He knows me too well. But I'm just sitting here going, how do we end today? You know, how do, we, how do we end with the personal message that we heard? Because, listen, there's some things in my life that I need to go fight, and I need my Goliath to help me reveal my destiny. So I had that, but now I have this looming thought of what are we doing as a church? So here's what we are going to do. We're going to continue to invest in this ministry. Amen? Amen. Amen. And one of the things you may not know, and this is not me bragging, I'm the lowest guy on the totem pole This past year, Pastor Chris gave me the opportunity to do monthly phone calls with pastors, and I was able to lead a cohort church 
there's a church in California that was struggling, but after going through this 10 months, they are not only back to pre-COVID numbers, they're above it. And so you give even me the opportunity to continue. So what do we do? And that's a great question that you need to wrestle with. Because I don't think I can give you the solution. I can help give answers, though. But what is God calling you to? What is the ministry he's asking you to step into? Because I will tell you this, that we here at Navigation Church refuses to be a dim light on a hill. We refuse to be a failing light on a hill. But we will be the shining light. And it's not because I'm up here or our Garth Brook type worship leaders up here. It is because we as the body of Christ have decided that we will be the light on a shining hill. And so, God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come and hear the word. And if I can say this, get our marching orders. Now, God, we march forward. We refuse to be on our hills. We refuse to sit on the sideline. But, God, we came to serve. Now put us in the fight. And we will fight where you have called us to. At the same time, we sit comfortably knowing the battle belongs to the Lord. So I ask the Holy Spirit to begin speaking into individuals' hearts. What are they called to? Where is that place of service they can step into? What is that ministry that they're supposed to begin? Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, for you to speak to all of us individually. And I just say, if you agree with that prayer and you want that prayer in your life right now, can I hear an amen? Amen. Final thought I am going to throw out there. Uh, we were not planning on receiving an additional offering for this church rescue initiative. But if you're here today in your heart, you heard what's happening. I want to say if you would text to give, if you give by check or cash, put a memo in there for church rescue. And every single penny that would come in for that, we will ship it straight to. We don't need administrative cost. We don't take out a percentage. Navigation Church isn't who you give to. It's who you give through. And if you give today specifically for this, I want you to know that every penny of it's going to go straight to this ministry. And next year, they're already a part of our missions. They're already a part of what we're doing. We're going to continue to rescue other churches and minister to other pastors. Amen? Amen. God bless you. God keep you. May his face shine down upon you. And this week, if you're not able to connect with the NAV group, just know they're waiting there for you. But if you'd like to, please stop by our Next Step booths. And I don't know if we've said this enough today. If you're a guest here today, we are absolutely thrilled that you decided to stop by NAV Church. If you're a guest with us today, please stop by our Connecting Center. We have a gift back there. We'd love to connect with you. But until next week, God bless you. We'll see you soon.